3: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've reached the end of yet another tumultuous week which started out with the Labour Party offering us all free broadband and ended up with them promising to borrow £400 quid a year and raise taxes by £83 billion a year in what has been dubbed the most expensive manifesto in history. And it's also been described, by the way, as not credible by the Independent Institute for Fiscal Studies. This morning I'll speak to Shadow Chancellor of the Exchequer John McDonnell for an explanation of just how Labour are planning to spend their way to a Socialist Revolution. Also this morning, Nigel Farage unveils the Brexit Party contract. He's not calling it a manifesto because he says those are not worth the paper they are written on. So we will finally discover what other policies the Brexit Party are actually proposing. And tonight, there's yet another BBC Question Time with Boris Johnson, Joe Swinson, Jeremy Corbyn and Nicola Sturgeon. It's not actually being called a debate, it's just being called a question and answer session. Can we really take another three weeks of this? 0344 499 1000 is the number. Coming up later on, we'll be looking at the one-year anniversary of the Gilets Jean movement in France. That's this weekend. Spikes Online columnist Fraser Myers will explain it all to us. Plus, we'll be asking you just how bad the roads are where you live. It took me nearly an hour last night to go three miles in the centre of London. On a bus. So much for the green economy. 0344 499 1000. Plus it's Friday, so we've got yet another sparkling edition of the Perrier Awards. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest gray radio station in the world. It's Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, John McDonnell uh, was at the launch yesterday of the world's most expensive manifesto in the history of politics. Now, Jeremy Corbyn was riding very high uh, on the crest of a wave, uh, but John McDonnell, of course, is the shadow chancellor, and he's the guy uh, that's supposed to be figuring out where all the money is going to come from, where they're going to generate it from, and how it is that they're going to spend it. Now, it turns out that the Institute for Fiscal Studies, which is an independent body, has said that they've looked at the numbers, they've crunched them, and they don't think it actually works. They don't think the Labour Party's budget is in any way credible, and that their proposals will work so i asked him what he would say to them
4: i have a lot of time for the ifs and i've worked with them over the years on this one that i think they've just got it wrong because i don't think they've looked at the the manifesto in total what we're saying let's be absolutely clear um, we do need to spend more and it is big because the challenges are big and because we've had 10 years of austerity and we cannot we cannot allow the housing crisis to go on. We cannot allow our schools to be literally schools begging for funds for basics. And we cannot allow our NHS to be in this crisis. We've got to fund it properly. And the way to do it, we're saying very, very clearly, we are increasing income tax. We're increasing income tax on the top 5% of the earners. We're saying 95% of people will not have their income tax rates increase or VAT or national insurance. But we are saying to corporations, you've had large tax cuts over the last 10 years. You haven't invested in the way you should. We're reversing some of those tax cuts. You'll still be competitive internationally, but we're reversing some of those. We're also saying to the City of London, we need you to pay a little bit. We need you to contribute a bit more now. And we're saying to, yes, some of the rich in corporations who we don't think are paying their taxes, uh, they're avoiding and evading sometimes their taxes, We're going to clamp down our tax evasion and tax avoidance. In that way, we will be able to fund the public services that we need. Now, the IFS has said, well, companies will simply put up prices or cut wages. No, they won't, because we're restructuring our economy. So on those company boards, a third of their board will be workers. There'll be supervisory boards, which consumers are represented on as well. So we will not have this system whereby they keep on passing on the cost to their customers or their workers, whilst at the same time they're making quite massive profits. You know, they had tax cuts of over £100 under the Tories, and that hasn't been invested in our economy.
3: How would you make them do that, though? Because that's a question a lot of people have been asking me. You know, you've used the word required before uh, when we spoke the other day. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn has also used that word. How would you get companies uh, to actually do something that they may not wish to do?
4: Because we restructure the boards, we're making sure workers and consumers are represented. That's yeah, but how though? So. But
3: how do you restructure the board of a company which is not publicly owned? Oh
4: well, simply you
3: introduce legislation.
4: It's as simple as that. It happens. It happens in Europe and elsewhere. You introduce legislation. You enable that to happen. And this is commonplace in other countries. In fact, it's interesting, isn't it? When we were assisting Germany after the Second World War to be reconstructed. We put in place a lot of the, on our advice, a lot of the legislation that enabled the democratisation of their economy much more effectively, and that's what we want to do here. And on the public utilities that we're bringing back into public ownership and control, basically on rail, on water, on energy, on royal mail, what we're we're doing is, is we're making sure that they're properly managed, no longer used for speculation, but on their boards will be expert management, representatives of workers and representatives of communities and representatives of consumers and passengers on that basis you stabilize the future of those companies they're no longer driven by short term profiteering and share only shareholder value and you know this reform this debate isn't just happening here happening in the United States of America at the moment, as well as across Europe.
3: And what about this uh, transition fund, the windfall tax that you want to put on oil and gas companies? How wide-ranging would that be? And when did you change your mind on that? Because you said previously that wasn't going to happen.
4: Oh, well, what happened, I didn't, what happened, I was given a question by the Daily Telegraph early in the week about, um, there'd been a leak from our manifesto and how was this going to operate? And I said, I wouldn't tell him how it was going to operate. I said, no, no, no because I wasn't going to to give away our manifesto two days before. Well, unlike Boris Johnson. Well, (laughs) (laughs) I'll leave leave others to comment on that. Um, But look, what we've said, uh, we'll work with the companies themselves and independent experts. All we're saying is this, is that in North Sea Oil, UK-based companies have made quite a large amount of money over the years but now we're moving from fossil fuel and to alternative energy. So we want now to undertake an assessment of what that will cost. Um, one of the figures that's been put up is at least 11 billion to enable the workers who are now, well, will be displaced from their jobs to be retrained with the skills that we need to ensure that we have the alternative energy sources. And the jobs that will be created by what we call the green industrial revolution, All all of that about developing wind and wave and solar power, insulating people's homes, all of that will require a skilled workforce. Those skills are out there amongst those people who've been associated with the oil and gas industry who are now unfortunately losing their jobs because of that, that they will move on now to being part of that green industrial revolution. The opportunity is enormous. And we feel the oil companies have made so much profit from North Sea Oil, actually then should assist us in that just transition. That's why we're saying they should make a contribution to protect those workers and those communities that up until now have been dependent on oil and gas industries help us now shift that into the green industrial revolution the green industries that we
3: need let's talk a little bit about brexit i presume you guys have now got a team working on negotiations that would take place as soon as uh, an election result happens if you do win the election you'll need to go and start uh, negotiating a new deal what uh, what parts of boris johnson's new deal would you change uh, and how would you make it a better deal for britain
4: well remember we've had a team working on this for the last couple of years and we were Can you remember, we were in six weeks of negotiations with Theresa May's cabinet going through what we thought was a a realistic deal. But at the same time, of course, we were talking to um, European partners as well about that. And We said, basically, we do need a permanent customs union. It's the one way of making sure we protect our trade, but also overcoming this problem with regard to the Good Friday Agreement. We mustn't do anything that in any way endangers the Good Friday Agreement and the potential of long-term peace in North, northern ireland, in ireland overall the current permanent customs union is exactly what we're saying but we're saying that customs union relationship needs to be partially redesigned so we have much greater say about future trade deals in europe second thing yes a close market relationship with a single market but also this issue about dynamic relationship with regard to regulations of workers environment and consumer rights we mustn't be in a situation where there's, if Boris Johnson gets his way, got his way, would be the undermining of those basic regulations. And amongst that as well, I have to say, we don't want to be in a situation where we have a Tory government that is already involved in negotiations with Donald Trump about an American trade deal that would sell out our NHS.
3: Why do you keep saying that when you know it's not true?
4: Because every, every, Labour,
3: every Labour politician mentions Donald Trump as if he's running against you.
4: Well, the evidence is there go to the dispatchers programme, go to the documents that they released that have been heavily redacted between the meetings between negotiators here and the, well, the big pharma companies in America. You know what they're about. What yeah, they're, they're about, about selling is, oh, pharmaceuticals
3: oh. To, to, to the NHS, aren't they?
4: Yes, but that's the foot in the door, don't you see that? Well, that's they're the, the only people the that door. make those
3: pharmaceuticals, so they sell them to the NHS, and that's where we go to buy them. Surely.
4: Well, well, we're not in a situation where we have to be dependent upon them with we'll rip-off prices, and what they're trying to do—that's the foot in the door, the, the stage in which then they can start squeezing the NHS, and you know what will follow after that is further privatisation. We cannot allow. We cannot allow our NHS to be undermined in that way.
3: Finally, John, and I appreciate your time this morning, um, Angela Rayner says that even she acknowledges that Jeremy Corbyn is not a particularly popular leader for the Labour Party. Do you think they'd be doing better, or you'd be doing better in the polls, if you were in charge?
4: No, not at all. These, Jeremy is exactly the sort of leader we want. And you know what's interesting, isn't it? Jeremy's had a battering from some of the well written media, in particular, the press, because... It's owned by people whose power and wealth we're challenging. Some of these press owners will say, you're going to pay your taxes, so of course they don't like us, and of course they'll pillory Jeremy Corbyn, and he's had a batting day after day after day. And then what happens in elections? Broadcast media are legally obliged to give us a semblance of balance. People see the real Jeremy Corbyn, as they did on the debate the other night, and look at the figures on the don't-knows in that debate vast majority of don't know is actually backed jeremy corbyn so people actually making up their minds see the real jeremy corbyn the principled strong leader that he is but the sort of leader we need now someone who can listen bring people together build consensus unite the country again that's exactly the leader we want and i think as we go into this campaign you'll see more and more people recognise that.
3: There were a few people heckling him in Birmingham yesterday because the, uh, the day that you chose to launch the manifesto, unfortunately, was the 45th anniversary of the Birmingham pub bombings. Uh, quite, a, quite a few angry people calling him IRA scum, which I wouldn't support at all. Um, what was his reaction to that?
4: Well, it's, it's, We didn't shy away from that date at all. We knew the date itself. Um, actually, Jeremy wanted to make a statement about that, which, which he did, um, which was about sadness and for all those who suffered, and about the need for justice as well. And so on all of those, all of those issues, Jeremy's always promoted peace, always trying to bring people together to secure consensus and secure peace. And that's why I respect about the man. No matter how, how much flack he gets, he always does what he believes to be the right thing. And the right thing for him is to always reject violence and always seek peace.
3: John McDonald, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. John McDonald, the Shadow Chancellor, talking to me a little bit earlier just before this show began. I want to hear from you on this one, of course. Uh, he is standing for the Labour Party in Hayes and Harlington. Uh, amongst the other candidates are Chika Amadi from the Christian People's Alliance, Wayne Bridges from the Conservative Party, Christine West from the Green Party, Alex Cunliffe uh, from the Liberal Democrats and Harry Bopare from the Brexit Party. Uh, we'll be hearing more uh, from John McDonald a little bit later on, of course. But we want to hear from you too. Uh, lots of great tweets have already come in. You can tweet us at TalkRadio. You can text us uh, at 87222. Start your message with the word talk. And we want to hear you on the phone as well, though, because your voices are the ones that count. This is being called the most expensive manifesto of all time in the history of manifestos. Uh, the Institute for Fiscal Studies says it's not workable, it's not credible. Many of you uh, out there so far on the Twitter sphere seem to think it's unworkable too. 0344 499 I mean, basically what John McDonald is suggesting uh, is that they're going to take over lock, stock and barrel several entire industries, but also private companies which are owned privately... Uh, or possibly through a share based system uh, are going to be told that they have to hand part of the control of that company and the board of directors to the workers Uh, Mark says this excellent news McDonald is going to take my boss's company off him that he's been building for 30 years and give me a share of it these idiots are delusional Uh, and here's one from Social who says uh, are Labour going to abide by their own laws and have their board made up of all sorts of people from the voters up Um, Tom says under Labour the UK will become cloud cuckoo land Uh, and finally uh, one here from Andy who says I'm sick of hearing Labour lies. How can John McConnell say John McDonnell say the NHS isn't funded properly? The NHS gets £138 billion per year the man lives in a fantasy land god help us if he becomes chancellor well what they've said is they want to spend 83 billion pounds a year um, on all sorts of different uh, things they want to borrow uh, 400, sorry they want to raise 83 billion pounds a year in taxes they want to borrow 400 billion pounds a year uh, to do all sorts of other things as well we'll go through those uh, as we go through the show today we want to hear from you 0344 499 1000 we are your election station this is talk radio you think
0: So you're a rocket scientist. That don't impress me.
3: 03444991000 is the number to get in touch with us, of course, because we are the place that gives you a voice. This is the uh, Independent Republican Mike Graham. This is Talk Radio. We are your election station. And, of course, uh, basically what we do here uh, is we listen to what you have to say as well as this is what the politicians have to say because we've still got another three weeks of campaigning. Plaid Cymru are launching their manifesto. The Brexit Party are launching their manifesto later on. Uh, we'll be getting to all of that too. Let's go, first of all, though, to the calls. Julie uh, is in Bristol. Hello, Julie. Good
1: morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm lovely, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very well
3: indeed. What can I do for you?
1: That's good. I'm very annoyed. I am fed up with British journalists becoming part of Johnson's fake news machine. All you see is in the press, lies, falsehoods, Misrepresentations of Boris Johnson and his government, and they're just being used as their own propaganda machine. Well, I, mean, I hope you're not accepted. including me
3: in that because you know this is the most balanced well, show I, on the radio. No,
1: well, you've just announced uh, lots of quotes from Twitter running down Labour's manifesto. I just There's read, no I just read
3: some tweets, tweets out, Julie. Uh, people yeah, send me and, tweets, uh, I read them out. That's the point of it. There
1: will, and you know as well as I do, there will be tweets that are supporting that manifesto. I haven't got any. I, oh.
3: Why don't you send me one? I'll read it out.
1: Okay. well, apart from that, I'd like to just point out that the Institute of Fiscal Studies that everybody seems to be relying on actually receives massive donations from huge corporations and it's actually headed by a former Tory cabinet member. It's headed Uh,
3: by a former uh, civil servant, isn't it?
1: Well, it's headed by a Tory cabinet member. No, it's headed by a
3: former civil servant. And John McDonnell himself, when I asked him about the IFS, said he had a great deal of respect for them as an organisation. Yeah. So yes, so if he's if he's do. okay if he's okay they with them, do. Julie, why don't you like them?
1: Well, I've looked into them Have and you? what I, what annoys me is about the complete bias in the press. I mean, did not do people not realise that it's owned by about eight billionaires? Some of them don't even live in the UK. Which which
3: eight billionaires are we talking about here?
1: We're talking about the Barclay brothers, we're talking about Lord Rothermere. That's three. We're, well, I'm not. You said eight. Well, enough, you said there I've was got eight. More things to say. Well, you How said there hands? was eight. If
3: you're you're talking about facts, Julie, you should have a few facts to hand. If you're going to have, I haven't
1: got them to hand because I didn't expect to. If, if somebody wants to fact check me, they're quite within their rights. But you know as well, well as I just do. don't say things it's you can't 30... back
3: up. It's that simple.
1: I can. Well, if I if I was there somewhere could back it up, I would. I've researched it. I know. Well, there's, there's
3: not eight. 34. I can tell you that you're wrong.
1: How many is there then?
3: There's not eight.
1: Uh, do you know how many there is? Yes, I
3: do, because I've worked in the yeah. press all my life, but I'm not giving you the answer, because you're are the one you that made the allegation. Me?
1: No, you're telling me the Barclay Brothers...
3: The Barclay Brothers a- are putting up the Telegraph for sale, actually, so it will be owned by somebody new soon.
1: Well, that doesn't matter. They're still controlling what goes out in that paper. They live in an, on a, an island. They don't live in the UK. They live They've on Sark, no vest- which is
3: part of the Channel Islands.
1: They've got. They own their own island. They live They've on Sark. No,
3: festive... no, they live on Sark, which is no. They do the they,
1: they own another island in the Channel Islands. Really?
3: Well, the Channel Islands yeah. are still part of Britain. Last time I checked.
1: They they want to make it their own country.
3: They want do to make realise? it their own country, right? Are you yeah. sure you haven't been reading some kind of bizarre conspiracy theory, Julie? Do you
1: re- oh, well? Do you think this is bizarre? Thirty-four billion pounds is invested in offshore accounts. It should be being paid to our country.
3: Well, do you know that there are several Labour-owned councils who uh, appeared in the Paradise Papers because they don't pay I, tax?
1: I'm not saying whether that is from Labour or Tory, but what I'm saying is that Labour Party will close loopholes that are allowing that money to be flooded out of the country uh-huh. that could benefit
3: us. Right.
1: So what's your point, Julie? I mean,
3: you seem to know an awful lot about what you're supposed to not know about, so you obviously know about stuff.
1: what about Boris' lies then? What about him, for example, saying that the delay to Brexit would cost £1 billion a month, which was a blatant lie that he even announced in Parliament, and for that, there's a ministerial code and they should remain truthful and if they don't, they should resign. Well and I mean the problem one... with,
3: with the truth and politicians is they're not very good friends, are they? I mean Jeremy Corbyn keeps saying that Donald Trump's gonna buy the NHS. That's not true either.
1: I believe that the Conservative Party will, with the help of the American government, look to privatize more parts of the NHS. Starting you with believe, the drugs Well, you believe the... you
3: can believe the moon is made of cheese if you want to. It doesn't mean it's true, does it?
1: Well, people say about what the Labour Party are doing. They believe the Labour Party are going to bankrupt the country.
3: Well, well they want to borrow £400 back. billion pounds a year. That's quite a lot of money.
1: So, comparing us now, the state of the country... This country is in pretty think, good shape, isn't it? What, homelessness doubled, poverty double, doubled, the cuts to education. I work in education, I've seen the devastation to schools I and see. to support. Youth services, child centres, I've seen that. And I've seen how disillusioned young people are with having no support. There's nothing that, for them. There's no opportunity.
3: That's rubbish. That it's total well, rubbish. I've got I, children of my own, Julie, and they've got plenty of opportunities from schools yes, and from well. wherever maybe,
1: it is. maybe because they're your children, they have. But I'm talking about children that are coming from homes probably quite different than the home that you have.
3: My children you know, don't have any more chance in life than I'm, anybody else. I mean, that's well, nothing to do with there's that. there's
1: children that don't have the opportunities that others do, you know. And I'm talking about children who's one parent may be in prison, affected by domestic abuse, wow. from, from drug abuse. That's, that, that's, that's a very people... small
3: minority of children. It's not a massive number of children. Listen, June, I'm going to leave it there because we've got other people who want to talk. Let's talk to Neil in Macclesfield. Hi, Neil. Morning, Mike. Happy Friday to you. Thank you very much. I was in quite a good mood up until about five <laughs> minutes ago.
5: <laughs> oh, well, it, it, it's a changing times, isn't it? I think the, the socialist uh, revolution is all very well if you sort of... Straight out of university and you've been brainwashed thinking that we're all, you know, going to live in this big, cuddly teddy bear world where everybody looks after each other. And, well, except and if you're in business, of course, because then it. they're
3: going to take what you've got and give it to somebody else.
5: Exactly. And then you get a bit older and you get a bit wiser and then you become slightly more conservative. And the point is that the where they're going to get this money from is through uh, government government borrowing or lending uh, on 30, uh, even 50-year bonds. So they're going to borrow the money from the future and then push it into the now. Mm. And uh, it's a bit like borrowing on credit cards. Well, exactly. Somebody's going to have to pay for that.
3: And also, it's all very well until the interest rate goes up, isn't it?
5: Well, this is the other thing that people need to be aware of. We are looking at... uh, We've had 12 years of zero interest rate policy in the United States. They're going to move. Everybody's predicting that's going to move in the next sort of 12 months to sort of 7%, even 10%. And if that happens, you know, the world is going to go into a severe downturn. So to be borrowing money at this time in the economic cycle is completely ridiculous. Uh, Another point on um, the NHS I'd like to add is that I know quite a few people who work in the NHS, Mm. and every single one of them agrees it needs to be radically overhauled of course from 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 within it's, it's one of the most inefficiently not, it's run
3: prepared. it's one of the most inefficiently run organizations in the history of the world
5: well you know there's a reason why there's only one NHS in the world and nobody has has done uh, a similar model elsewhere in the world and it's because fundamentally throwing money at it just doesn't work it, it needs to be certain elements of it do need to be privatized, such as
3: the a and E areas. Well, I mean, it's already been largely privatised. Loads of bits of it are privatised. That's the point of it, you know, because that's the way it works. I mean, like John McDonald's banging on about, you know, these secret talks with American pharmaceutical companies. One, they're not secret talks because they've all uh, known about them for years. And also, they are about selling and buying pharmaceuticals from a company in America which makes the only pharmaceuticals for that particular illness. Yeah,
5: I mean, they have been downsizing the NHS provision for... You know, 30, 40 years. I remember when dentistry was free. I remember when you could get eye, eye tests for free. They've done away with all of that. Everything now is, is generally you uh, pay as you go. Uh, so yeah, I think it's a natural progression uh, that we have to move into and it, it's just part of the reality that of the times that we're in.
3: Absolutely right, Neil. Thanks very much indeed for your call.
0: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up.
2: The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals.
1: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham
2: on Talk Radio. (laughs)
3: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 Coming up in the next hour, uh, we're going to have a very interesting conversation about the Gilets Jean uh, because coming up this weekend, it is an absolute year to the day uh, uh, this weekend that they started their demonstrations over in France and they've been going on every single weekend ever since. So this will actually be the 53rd week uh, that they've actually been doing it. Uh, so we're going to be finding out precisely what it is all about, when it is likely to end, if it is likely to end, and, and what it is that's uh, going going to change about the way that France is actually run. Fraser Myers is going to join us from Spiked Online. Right now, though, we're going to talk to Bruce Williamson because, uh, guess what? Remember those rail strikes that were going to happen over Christmas? Well, they're definitely happening. So we're going to find out from Bruce what on earth we could do about it. Bruce, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Chaos, I'm being told. For almost a month, rail strikes are going to hit commuters and shoppers over the festive period
2: um it's not good news for travelers it's not good news for the rail industry as well you know i mean as as i'm a rail campaigner you know i want to show the railways in a good light and get more people to use them and what's really frustrating here is that this dispute over over guards and the role of drivers and who presses the button and so on it's been grinding on for you know years and years now and what's really frustrating is this issue has been resolved on other lines on other franchises. So, you know what's going on here I, yeah, I so why can't it be
3: resolved on on this one so what so why can't it be resolved on this one
2: that's the big question that's a six million dollar question I don't know you know uh, the, 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 we need a case of heads being banged together i mean i, I you know I, I haven't been a party to the negotiations but I'm sure it's one of these devil in the detail points mm. you know that the, the general idea is yeah we can make this work but 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 what about what about ifs and buts and and you know, uh, it, it's very frustrating. Well,
3: there have been those who have said that the, the management of South West Rail are just as much to blame for these kind of talks breaking down as the unions are, because they're kind of refusing to budge and there doesn't seem to be any kind of element uh, of, of of sort of consultation going on. Can they, can they not be forced into mediation in some way? Well, I
2: think that's idea actually yeah i mean again because there is there is a solution out there um yeah a plague on both their houses really you know the, the southwest trains will say oh the door's always open we're being reasonable the unions will say the door's always open we're being reasonable but someone isn't and i think both well yeah sides are, are digging their heels in. and
3: one of the things that i saw from the unions earlier on i think uh, last maybe late last month or early this month was that yeah. they weren't going to strike on christmas day and boxing day to which i said well that's great because they don't run any trains anyway
0: yeah,
2: that is a bit of an empty gesture. Yeah, I mean, it?
3: you know, sorry, that's not really helping us. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what's I the mean, actual what's the actual number of strikes and how long are they going are they going to be striking for entire days or just taking I, I some believe services so. I out? I think
2: they're pretty much, you know, it's, it's a total um, walkout, you know, for the whole of, the, of December basically, mm. I think, yeah.
3: So if you want to use a Southwest train, you will find it very difficult basically to get anywhere that Southwest trains go.
2: I think you'll find it pretty much impossible. I, I, I don't Dear know what they're going to do. I mean, there might be a skeleton service. There'll probably be a lot of replacement buses laid on. Mm. Um, but and yeah, the roads it's, will
3: it's, already be chock-a-block anyway. Yeah, I actually, exactly. I actually yeah. spent about nearly an hour yesterday because I thought the Jubilee Line's not been running very well lately in London. I know for people outside of London, this has sounded a bit London-centric, but the Tube is by far and away the quickest way to get around London because it's just yeah. faster than it's underground. But the bus that I got on took nearly an hour to go about two and a half miles. I mean, it's just unbelievable.
2: Yeah, I mean, congestion, I mean, you know, in a way it it highlights um, exactly how important the the rail network is because London grinds to a halt without it, you know, and and the same is true in other parts of the country because, you know, it's gridlock on the roads and and the replacement buses are generally much, much slower than the train services. So, yeah, we need our railways. Mm. Um,
3: So from December the 2nd, I'm reading, they're going to be walking out for 27 days. Yeah, yeah. That's just incredible, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, 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 it should be, should be unlawful, shouldn't it?
2: Well no, I don't think it should. Um, you know, it everyone should have the right to withdraw their labor, you know, if if you you wouldn't if, if, your, if your manager was an idiot and, and you know, sticking a gun to forbid. your head, I'm sure you wouldn't be very happy at going into work either. So, you know, I think the right to strike is a good idea. No, right. but all right, so, well, let
3: me finish my argument, Bruce, yeah. before you start trying to destroy it, right? Here's <laughs> the point. It's a, it's a national service, this. This is not me going on the radio. I, I have to tell you that even as much as people would miss me if I went on strike, I don't think it would create quite as much havoc as no trains running for 27 days.
2: Sure, OK, but if you, if you take that view, then you've got to
3: provide
2: an alternative way that the unions can flex their muscles. Otherwise, you've got a very, unside, uh, very you know, uneven... Well, to me, situation. all right,
3: to me, it's a bit like Extinction Rebellion. You know, I've got no problem with them coming in and demonstrating in London, but I have got a problem with them demonstrating solidly for two whole weeks, blocking up every single road in the centre of town that they can. You know, it's a question of um, degree, isn't it?
2: Well, yeah, I suppose it is up to a point, but, you, you know, you, you seem to be saying, and I think a lot of people take this attitude when it comes to protesters and strikers, they have every right to strike, they have every right to protest, as long as it doesn't affect me. And, that, you know, that's actually a bit of a self No, that's not true
3: either, because I'm saying I'm happy for it to affect me, but I don't think it's right for it to affect me or anybody for 27 days or for 14 days. You know, they can make their point without being quite as disruptive as this.
2: Yeah, but it's not about making a point, is it? The whole point isn't it. Well, what pro- is it, it about then? It's about striking until you get what you want. There's no point going on strike and getting nothing as a result, is there? So you have, have you court, have you like I, been hit on the
3: head or something, Bruce? And woken up as a communist since I last spoke to you? What is going on with you?
2: Well, I'm, I'm just I'm just stating the obvious, really. Striking isn't a
3: protest.
2: Striking is an action in order to force a result, and going on strike and not getting what you want is pointless. Well,
3: they've already done several of those, haven't they? They've been on strike several times and not got what they wanted, so you might think if they were clever, they would find some other way to try and get what they want.
2: Well, I'm sure I'd like to know what options they have, you know, I mean, I'm sure everyone would be open to suggestions on this, but striking, I think, is the sort of last resort, and the the, the sort of most final and hardcore way. Yeah,
3: of- well, it's nice to do it over Christmas, though, isn't it? Let's move, <laughs> let's move on to the Labour Manifesto, which came out yeah. yesterday, only because they want to take most of the railways back into public ownership, yeah. and they're promising full rolling programmes of electrification, talking about taking HS2 all the way up to Scotland. I mean, I mean, it's a very small part of their very expensive manifesto, but what have you made of what they want to do? Well,
2: certainly a rolling programme of electrification is something we very much support. Um, electrification, it's, it's, it's wonderful, it's win-win-win, because you get faster trains, you get more reliable trains, you get trains which are cheaper to buy, mm. trains which are cheaper to run, they run on green energy, um, and so on and so on. So electrification is great, and we've been pushing for, you know, what's happened in the past, we have a very low level of electrification compared to other European countries, so that needs to be put right. But we've had a complete sort of fiasco with stop-start. Is this line going to be electrified? No, it isn't. Are we going to have diesel trains? It's, it's a nonsense. We need a rolling programme of electrification uh, and, and, and an end to this uncertainty and this feast and famine. Uh, so we can get a decent railway. So that part of that particular manifesto we, we very much support. OK. Um, uh, and what about... And we, the, the... And I must stress, we, we would equally support it if the Conservatives or the Lib Dems or the Greens... Sure. No, no, it. I get
3: that. I'm not suggesting that you're going to support one party more than another. Just so happens that that was, that was their manifesto launched yesterday. We'll find out from the Tories what they want to do, but I'd be very surprised if they want to do uh, something similar as far as nationalising the trains. What are the, yeah. what are the rail companies likely to say uh, to any Labour government proposals to nationalise them, though?
2: I imagine they're not—they're not into it, you know. Um, Maybe they could the, go on strike. <laughs> what sorry?
3: Maybe they could go on strike.
2: Well, yes, an interesting suggestion. Yeah, I mean, i i, I, I don't know, but, but the thing is, they would be motivated. Uh, they would lose income if they went on strike. So yeah. it's not in it's not in the train company's interest to go on strike, is it?
3: But can they stop a government from renationalising? I mean, I know that's maybe a question that's a bit more complex than than we can address right now. Yeah, but, I, I mean, I think if, the answer I, is no. I, I don't know whether they can just suddenly walk into government and go. Right now, we're going to renationalise. I don't know how easy that is to do.
2: Um, I think it is moderately easy because clearly it's been done before. Not just in whatever it was, nineteen forty-eight, but of course we've seen it happen three times on the East Coast Mainline franchise, yeah. where um, where the franchise has failed and and it's had to go um, had to go back into to public hands to keep the trains running. So you know it, it's it's doable, and um, you know it's, it's just a question of of your sort of political preferences.
3: Yes, I suppose so. But I mean, as far as the future of the rail industry is concerned. Yeah. Um, you know, HS2 at the moment is going to be still under review, as far as we know, if the, if the government does not change or if the Tories get back in. Yeah. Um, HS2 in full will be reviewed in the new year, is my understanding. It's difficult for me to see where that's going to go because the review that we were leaked to the other, the other week would suggest that they, they want to carry on with it.
2: Yeah, it does, and it's very controversial because Lord Barclay, who was a party to the review, is feeling very miffed that his sort of opinion was left out. Um, Generally speaking, you know, I think HS2 is is a good thing in that we need the capacity. But the, the question for both Labour and the Tories is, you know, how far do you let the costs spiral before you pull the plug? And I don't think anyone... Should be giving HS2 a completely blank cheque. No, um, because it's so already we're now to,
3: we're told going up to eighty-eight billion, um, and it's probably going to head over a hundred billion, which is what we predicted. I think the last time you and I spoke. So yeah. um, I think the excuse that oh well, it will cost eight billion to cancel it, so we might as well carry on, doesn't really wash with me.
2: It doesn't really wash, you know. And I think you know, I, I think basically we need to put a maximum figure on it and and say, well, if you can't do it for that, then forget it. Um, Okay. And let's look at other ways of increasing capacity. I mean, this is the issue, though. You know, we're looking at a rail system in this country where passenger numbers continue to rise and they've doubled over the last 15 or 20 years. So that there's no, there's no do-nothing option. Um, we have to find a way to increase the capacity on our railway.
3: Yeah, quite. My daughter, uh, says Chloe, um, has trains booked from Plymouth and back for Christmas. She works and is at uni in Plymouth, so she can't be delayed and she doesn't have a car. This is miserable for her. Yeah, I mean, what is she supposed to do?
2: Well, I, I, like I say, I, you know, I feel very sorry for her. Uh, and, you know, uh, um, hopefully there will be an alternative laid on by, by the train companies. But, yeah, it, it's, it's going to affect people. And, and you know, it's, it's unfortunate that both sides can't come to an agreement Well, it's ridiculous,
3: it. isn't it? It's not yeah, just unfortunate. Yeah. Well, whereas hopefully uh, there'll something will be done before the 2nd of December, because that's the date at which they are supposed to be walking out for 27 days on South West Rail. Bruce Williamson from the campaign group uh, Rail Futures. Absolutely ridiculous situation. How can they go on strike for an entire month? It's just mad- madness, isn't it? Bonkers. Uh, this is Talk Radio. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator.
2: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio you
3: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Amidst all of the election furore, you know, we do try and find a few sort of shades of light in the midst of it all. Nigel Farage still speaking, launching the Brexit Party policy document, which is definitely not a manifesto, uh, even though it sounds a bit like one. Uh, And of course, we had Plaid Cymru launching their own manifesto, which definitely was a manifesto. uh, And Labour launching their manifesto, which was definitely not only a manifesto, but the most expensive manifesto in the history of manifestos. I think I've said manifesto enough. By the way, in case you didn't realise it, apparently the Victoria's Secret fashion show um, is a bit sexist, so they're not doing it anymore. <laughs> Let's talk to Mike Ward. Hello, Mr Ward. Just, is it Manifest Eye? Manifest high. Now, it could be. Could be, couldn't it? It could be. I'm sort of a bit sick of the manifesto, I must admit. (laughs) Sick of the whole thing. Just get on with it. Well, I mean, can we not just do the election tomorrow or something?
6: It's a lot easier. A a week to get your manifesto out, a week to campaign, and then there's. there's I mean, you
3: know, we could watch for two hours tonight, you know, a bonus question time. Please not. With four, uh, count them, leaders of the parties, of the main parties of the country. Mm. I'm not sure I've got the strength for it.
6: No, I I just feel as if we're we're stuck in in a. Well, you know. Groundhog Day rut.
3: Yes, well, it'll all be over soon. Luckily, we've got some other television to sort of uh, distract us. The Crown, mind you, if you were the writers of The Crown, would you not be sitting there going, this is not fair, they're doing better than we are. <laughs> yes, The absolutely. actual reality show, The Royals, uh, is far better than The Crown in any, well, in any way, shape or form. It
6: does make you think, well, when they start sort of, you know, because obviously we've got several uh, seasons, as we have to call them, to come. Yeah. So uh, as, when they get to write those, they can't help but be influenced, even though obviously they're meant to be, Historical, historically accurate to the nth degree, of course.
3: Yeah, but that's what I mean. They couldn't make this stuff up. I mean, no, they, whatever absolutely. they thought might happen, they could never have possibly sort of, you know, predicted this, right?
6: We're still in the era. This is the third season that's just that, that uh, arrived last week. Right. So we're still we started sixty uh, four, and this goes on to seventy seven. So it's starting to sort of awaken my own memories of the silver jubilee year. Yes, etc. etc. What's
3: your favourite memory from the silver jubilee year? I was in well, a band
6: and we played. A, we played a street party. I was the lead singer of a band. We played a street party in nineteen seventy. brilliant
3: and because we we, we were
6: middle class rebels we played God Save the Queen of course you did by um, the Sex
3: Pistols I was going to say you had to do the Sex Pistols version I actually went to watch to see Queen at Earl's Court because completely unbeknownst to me and my parents um, the guy who lived next door to us was the Queen's sound engineer Ah. and so he came to my dad uh, the day of the show and said do you fancy coming to see Queen tonight And I I, came home, my dad was, I came home from, I guess I was at college or something. My dad was like, Do you fancy going to see Queen? Is that 77? 77. Oh, I think that was that one. Magnificent concert. It really was brilliant. They were amazing. And we were about four rows from the front. Oh, wow. You know, it was amazing. (laughs) Brilliant. Anyway, so the Queen is changing hands, though, isn't it? I mean, that is what's going on here. That's what we're talking about.
6: It seems, it's a bit like a sort of US presidency. You're allowed two terms maximum. So obviously we had Claire Foy doing the first two series and then. um, um Olivia Coleman's taken over for this third one and she'll be there for the fourth one. Right. Um and then by the time we get season five, Amanda Stallton is rumoured and it's only rumoured, they won't confirm it at The same oh, right? okay. person who will then step in. I think that's that makes sense. I can sit I can picture her. I suppose you need queen. to have different
3: levels and different ages as well, don't you?
6: You do, yeah. I mean it has to sort of be a natural sort of uh, natural progression. And then, mm. obviously all the other because Helen, Helena Bonham and Carter is now Princess Margaret, who, which I think is a great choice. Right. Obviously. Uh, and then yes, you've got, she's um, she's
3: done well out of that. And what I presume they haven't they haven't cast the kind of the the more modern parts yet, have they? Like Prince Andrew and all that.
6: Well, Prince, yeah, because sixty four, he'd have been four years old. Yes. So um, he he has been born, but no, he hasn't got any sort of significant personality. No, Can
3: I recommend well, James Max, who's one of our <laughs> uh, presenters here, who's the spitting image of Prince Andrew? That would be great. Yeah, which would be absolutely exactly. fantastic. He'd like that. He, he probably would actually. He, he would. Now, I'm
6: looking forward to a bit where they do they get to the era where they do it's a royal knockout. How much are they going to cover that <laughs> in any detail?
3: God, that was bad, wasn't it? That was horrendous. It's very funny, actually, in all the conversations that I've had this week about Prince Andrew and how haughty and kind of boorish he was, I have to say my experience of Prince Edward was exactly the same. You know, whenever I was anywhere near him, which was quite a lot, because he used to come to America quite a lot, Mm. and they never sent the royal correspondence over with Prince Edward because he wasn't important enough. So so I'd have to sort of pick him up when he got there. Yeah, and... It was uncomfortable. Well, whenever it was in the days when you still used to have little kind of soirees, and and the ambassador would have a little, you know, drinks reception for the press because mostly it was the local press, either in Canada or in America, right? And then somebody like me would turn up from a British tabloid, and he used to be very unfriendly, strangely enough.
6: I think if you go on YouTube and actually find the press conference surrounding that It's a Royal Knockout, which, of course, he organised, and his reaction to the press, that it's brilliant. It's a fantastic illustration (laughs) of of how he didn't really engage with... with, uh, No, he was
3: always absolutely astonished that people didn't just think he was wonderful. No, and I think there there
6: was something of of that, you know, in, in the whole Prince Andrew thing, that kind of remote sort of you know i think the word entitlement is overused yeah. but occasionally in this particular context you see it's exactly what breeds that kind of mentality no exactly
3: right now i suppose i can't let you go without asking you about i'm a celebrity get me out of here which yes. has started last weekend last sunday how's it going uh, is it I, uh, is it sort of capturing people's imagination i know the ratings were down a bit
6: i don't think ant and deck are quite on form i mean i'm a big fan of ant and deck i think they're great when they're when they sort of click and yeah they, are, they do come across as just two mates who can't believe they're luck and Mm. that 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 act has worked for you know a generation almost but it looks just a little bit forced at the moment and whether it's because they haven't done this show for a couple of years together and obviously all the issues that happened before whether there's something there or it's just they haven't got back into their stride lacking match fitness as it were
3: yes i think i think there's bound to be a kind of on between them a little bit because deck of course went and did it very successfully with holly willoughby um and now he's going to go back to the old partnership which inevitably is never going to stay the same after what happened you can't ignore what happened no No.
6: i mean you can sort of move on but i I just feel there's something there it may be nothing to do with that it may just be my imagination but i don't sit down and watch it and enjoy
3: the rapport between them quite as much as i have done in previous years so far anyway i mean it's not for me really i've never really got very excited about the show as as a whole but um this year it's even less interesting it seems to me i don't really look at any of the people in there as being particularly fascinating
6: no it's uh, i you know last year obviously we had harry Harry redknapp and he was sort of the center of attention from pretty much from day one i just don't feel there's anyone there if you look at the betting the favorite sort of changes every day and that's obviously because of the way they edit each night's show and you get to focus on, on different people each time But that tends to me to suggest that there isn't really anyone that anybody's absolutely sort of Mm. mad about. It's just a sort of succession of people who have their good days and their bad days. Yeah,
3: exactly. Maybe they'll have to parachute somebody in. Well, I mean, I did suggest Prince Andrew at the start of this week, but um, I don't suppose that's going to happen.
6: Well, you never know. Could, it could,
3: I mean, the world has gone that crazy. You never know. Exactly, Mike. Thanks very much indeed. Mike Ward there, a TV critic for the Daily Express and the Daily Star, uh, talking us through the changes at the Crown. Not everybody's in favour of them, though, uh, as it would turn out, because I've got a couple of tweets here uh, from people saying they're not really that keen uh, on the new um, castings. One from Mr Happy, who's obviously not happy. He says, the new castings are terrible. Olivia Coleman brings a cartoon voice and Bonham Carter as Margaret is awful. Really? I wouldn't say that. People seem to think she's doing it rather well. More gun talk from a water pistol from the Farmer of Fury. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham.
2: On Talk Radio.
3: It's Friday, it's 12.33, and it's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. Now, you might detect a slightly different uh, signature tune this week because uh, we've got a slightly different uh, situation uh, going on, uh, which is about to be explained to you now. Very good afternoon to you, Marta. Hola. Hola. How's it going?
7: It's going all right. What are
3: you doing in here?
7: Something happened.
3: What happened? Tell us.
7: So, you know Cornelius, part-time producer? Yes. Comes in every now and again.
3: Some, sometimes he comes in on a Friday.
7: Sometimes he comes in on a Friday. Yeah. Well, he was here earlier today. Oh, right. I've got to say, he was here until about 25 minutes ago. Okay. Um, Has he
3: got to go back somewhere?
7: He's, uh, he's joined the Gilles John. <laughs> so, he's currently on a Eurostar train to Paris. Is he?
3: Okay. So, he's and... going to help them celebrate their annual uh, anniversary.
7: He says that. I just think he's going uh, for a long weekend because, you know, he, he's had uh, he's well, he a very stressful week.
3: Well, he wasn't here most of the week. No, of course not. And he didn't make it back when he was supposed to.
7: He missed a flight yeah. on his way back from Berlin, yes. I believe. That's it. So um, Should we
3: just give him the Perry Awards and close them down now? Just give him all of them.
7: I don't think he deserves them.
3: No, you're absolutely right. No, okay.
7: you've got to be here to deserve them, I I think reckon. that's
3: true. I think that's true. Very poor form from him. <laughs> oh, well. Anyway, people like you doing them anyway. So, I mean, he's he's digging his own grave here, isn't he, as far as presenting the Perry Awards.
7: I couldn't Go. possibly comment on that, Mike. We shall
3: see. Well, shall we get on? Very good afternoon. And welcome
7: to the Perrier Awards. Thank you. This is where we look back at the week of the so-called Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio and choose our favourite moment. Thank you. Now, as it's tradition, Mike, the first Perrier goes to you. Great. And we start with idea of the week.
3: My best idea so far today, I think, has been to send Prince Andrew down there uh, and get him a taste of the old, uh, uh, what do you call it, kangaroo's testicle that they have down there? (laughs) Whatever it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think I was struggling to not say the wrong thing. Yes. Which is often the case.
7: Which is a... I I, I think I know what you were thinking. Yeah. I don't think this is what the Queen had in mind when she asked him to step down from royal duties. No, I don't think so. She probably thought of something else. Mm. On Tuesday, we were talking about how soup has almost magical properties and can even fight over malaria and all the... Uh, diseases. Um, Italian chef Gennaro Contaldo joined us for a chat and he won the Perry for Soup Enthusiast of the Week.
3: What about oxtail soup? That's good.
7: Yes,
1: go on,
3: go
1: on. With
7: <laughs> soup. I love it. <laughs> he he was brilliant. loved Gennaro, it.
3: He was fantastic, Gennaro. Goodness
7: me, it was 10 minutes. I've yeah. never seen anybody who loves soup. Um, I must admit, so I didn't much. know
3: we'd be able to talk about soup for quite as long as we did.
7: But it's and we quite did. Quite
3: remarkable. And
7: we did. We need to get him in the studio. We should one day. make some soup. We should make some soup. Yeah. Uh, before then, let's get to the callers. Yeah. Um, our beloved Susan in Exeter wins the Perrier for answer of the week. you get home at 10 or half past 10 at night, Mike? Well, I you, make really? it the
3: day before. I don't stay out that late anyway. I mean, what sort of a man do you think I am?
7: <laughs> well, no, uh, well, no, Well, that's a leading <laughs> question. <laughs> It's the pause there. It's the pause, isn't it? <laughs> it yeah, she suddenly
3: realised what I'd said, I think. Yes.
7: Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't really, really answer the question, which I think it's good for all of us.
3: Probably, yes. I Probably think. wise.
7: Andrew in Halifax um, gets also some special recognition for following your advice.
3: Let's talk to Andrew, who's in Halifax. Hello, Andrew. Oh, good morning, Mike. Morning, how are you doing?
4: Not so bad. I took your advice. I came back from India.
3: Well done. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I d- remember giving him that advice. Meaning that I, d-
7: I don't remember him calling from India, why he was there, no. why he was coming back, but he's back and it's thanks to you.
3: Well, thank you very much indeed. It's so, good to follow my advice. I
7: think so. Sometimes.
3: Yeah. Sometimes.
7: In this case, um, it was good. <laughs> Speaking of advice and uh, all this uh, shenanigans, um, dating expert Nadia Essex oh, yes. came on the show earlier this week to explain why she would not really consider dating someone who doesn't use proper grammar, mm. make spelling mistakes, yes. and all that stuff. Caller Pauline Islington wasn't happy about that and rang in, ran into to criticize He also provided the not idiom of the week.
1: Well, she finished her sentence with, I mean, like. Now, she's going to come on, if you're going to be the grammatical police, that's fine, but you can't have an
3: well, you could say it that's a, a, hang things. on, could you not say that's an idiom though? Hmm. <laughs> there not, you go. Not in, the con-
1: not in the context of what she was, how she was
3: putting it. No, no. I'll take that as a yes. I, I think. think it was a yes. Yeah, he wasn't think... expecting that.
7: No, absolutely not. Mm. I like it when that happens. I
3: like it when that happens as well.
7: Um, what I also like is giving you periors, Mike, and this Thank is you. another one. Yesterday was a big day for some people. It was. And for balance, we'll say it was not a big day for some of the people. Yes. You know, uh, we it's crossed We very la- balanced on this show. We've got we've the most balanced show on this uh, fastest growing radio yeah. station. In the world. In the world yeah. <laughs> and the universe. I've heard. <laughs> anyway, yesterday we crossed life to Birmingham to listen to the Labour Party's manifesto launch. And as Jeremy Corbyn came on stage, you won yourself the peripheral commentary of the week. Thank you.
3: Well, obviously, right, now listen, I'm going to ask you to pause for a moment because Jeremy Corbyn has just arrived on the stage in Birmingham to launch the election manifesto for the Labour Party. He's outstretching his arms, he's putting two thumbs up, (laughs) he's smiling, he's looking happy, and uh, what's he going to say? Let's have a listen. Wait for it. (laughs) He's going to enjoy the applause for a bit longer by the looks of things. Wearing a red tie, a white shirt, good. a dark suit good. and a big red badge, which presumably says Merry Christmas. No, no, it says um, <laughs> Vote Labour, obviously. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you have to paint the picture, don't you, for people who are obviously just listening to the radio rather than watching the television.
7: No, listen, I think sometimes, you know, the, the, the objective of the Perry Awards gets seen as, you know, ironic awards in yeah. the sense that I'm, I'm saying they? that you're rubbish commentary. But you, I think this was genuinely no. very good.
3: See, I never thought that. I always thought getting Perry Awards was a good thing. Are you telling me that it's not a good thing? I couldn't possibly comment. I don't I don't, I
7: don't, I don't, I have no recollection of saying <laughs> anything uh, about this. Okay, I So I'm going to swiftly move on. Oh, <laughs> good Oh, steady. Talk ready contributor, former Daily Star editor, and friend of the show, Dawn, uh, of the show. Sure.
3: The show. <laughs> Geordie Shaw. Yes. Yeah, no, she's definitely not on that.
7: <laughs> did I just do a Cornelius here?
3: You did. Okay. Well done. Great. Stumbling over your own words.
7: Good. <laughs> uh, friend of the show, Dawn Newsom, joined us earlier this week to give steady us a thoughts. Uh, what? Did I say it's short?
3: Yes. Show. Sure? Yes. <laughs> A friend of the show, I'll friend
7: do you. Friend of the you. show, Dawn Nissan. That's it. <laughs> I didn't even realise. Anyway, <laughs> Dawn, uh, she joined us earlier this week to give us her thoughts on Prince Andrew and when she described the interview with Emile Bately, she won a Perry for the metaphor of the week.
3: I mean, I mean it,
1: was, ca- it, was, being... it was beyond a car crash. It was like a, it was a motorway pile-up causing a tsunami that is <laughs> yeah. just going to go on and on forever now. <laughs> I
7: thought that was great.
3: That's not bad, is it? It's definitely more than a car
7: crash. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Now, on this show, Mm -hmm. you know that we aim for perfection. We do aim for it. All the time. Always. But, you know, it's not always possible to achieve it. Because we all make mistakes. We're only human, after all. Most of us. And um, I'm going to let you into some gossip from behind the glass. Okay. When this happens, we all give each other what we call an incompetence report. Okay. Just to make sure that mistakes don't happen again. Yes, that's important. And this week... As a treat for the listeners, we're gonna give uh, incompetence reports to members of uh, the station live. Yes, okay, good. And the first one uh, is for you, Mike. Congratulations.
3: (laughs) This is hard to believe.
7: Uh, There are some things, Mike, that you repeat a few times a a day. Okay. Every day of the week, such as your name, right? The name of the show, yes. The station we're on. You
3: are supposed to do that, you know. You,
7: I know, I know, I know. However, you clearly still haven't learned a telephone number.
3: Okay. And the seedy revelations surrounding him. Oh three four four one. Four nine nine one thousand.
7: 1000 Well, this is probably no, no, giving no, no, out no, no, the no, no. top sport number. Hang on, hang
3: on. And also, promoter of Big Act up there. Uh, he's just been working with Liam Gallagher uh, most recently. 344 You're listening to me, Mike. <laughs> I forgot the thousand.
7: <laughs> you forgot the thousand. And I was saying this was uh, from the same show. This is all from yesterday. Was it all from the same yeah. show?
3: Well, I must have been distracted. What can I say?
7: I think it's uh, unacceptable.
3: Yes, it is unacceptable. You're quite right. I'm very sorry. And I'll try not to do it That's again. That's
7: okay. That's okay.
3: I'll practice at home.
7: That would be great. Yeah. If not, we'll just give you a printout. So it's not yeah, that many It numbers. is actually no. in front of me. So well, I mean, <laughs> I don't
3: have to read it off the screen even.
7: I think you've got no excuse, Mike. <laughs> I haven't. Um, let's I accept go. accept uh, your
3: incompetence award.
7: For, uh, reward? Award. Award. Yes. No, it's an incompetence report. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's a report. <reward.
3: laughs> I thought it was another award.
7: Oh. <laughs> Uh Let's go to the other side of the glass, shall yes. we? Um, Studio manager Mark Gale gets an incompetence report Does for he? this.
3: Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later on. Uh, let's get some news headlines first. Though. Here's Rachel Jewell.
7: Thanks, Mike. Coming up, oh, Tories lady. in fake news. Twitter. He forgot to put the mic up oh, for dear. Rachel Jewell.
3: Yeah, that's a bit harsh. I mean, that happens, is not it?
7: Oh, it is happened. Listen, it's a technical mistake. Yeah. And, and you know, they're happen all the time, the, it's no big deal, newsreader Toby Gillis gets another incompetence report for yeah. pressing a button when he shouldn't have.
2: After defending his friendship with convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein in a TV
3: this interview... This manifesto is... <laughs> and it would... And it could be a long time before
7: acknowledge it he just moves on
3: just moves on well that's a good thing to do sometimes
7: i think i think listen i think well done toby well done toby could have been worse mm. and unfortunately no one in uh, on the station is safe from getting an incompetence report the yeah. next one There's is a lot of these today yeah yeah i was i just thought i would made a figure out of me. it uh the next one is uh, for afternoon producer i mean presenter yes kevin o'sullivan ah yes
2: talk radio With the news at one, here's David Gillis.
3: (laughs) Good afternoon. (laughs) David Gillis.
7: Close enough. That's good. Yeah, close enough.
3: Toby wasn't too happy about that. He right?
7: wasn't happy, no. no. And and you'll see, there's more. Um, last but not least, yeah. And you know, before complaints start coming in, mm. and before people on Twitter start calling me, you know, a witch or worse things, they wouldn't do that. Which has happened before. I don't know. You know, coming over here, highlighting other people's mistakes. Yeah. I'm gonna put my hand up, and in a period first. Yes. I'm going to award myself... Well done. ...the Incompetent Producer of the Week Parallel Award... Okay. ...for failing to give you a key piece of information. Yes.
3: Uh, let's get some news headlines. Here's Rachel Jewell. Talk Radio. Half-hour headlines. Toby Gillis this morning, Mike, <laughs> I'm afraid.
7: <laughs> well, at I... least they didn't call him David. No, of course not.
3: I mean, I made a genuine mistake.
7: You made a genuine mistake because I didn't tell you that Toby Gillis was in the building. So, right. hey, I'm not perfect. That's very good
3: of you. But uh... you could have passed that one over to me.
7: I could have, but Mm. I would never do that. Um, Anyway, that's it. I'm disappointed
3: (laughs) I didn't win that one, you know, because I want as many of these as I can get, of course.
7: Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you an honorary Perry Award for the greediest presenter of of the week for wanting all the Perrys for yourself. That's
3: me. Thank you very much, Martha. Well played. Thank you very uh, much. I dare say, uh, if Cornelius can be bothered to come to work next week, maybe he'll be back next week to do them for us.
7: Perhaps, but uh, for now, that's it for the Perry Awards.